0: that I have for you this morning is simply the Law of Retribution. The Law of Retribution. The Bible is replete with axioms, truths, and principles that are easily verifiable and hard to deny. Whether or not you respect the Bible and whether or not you are a Christian. One such example is the Law of Retribution, the law that states what you do eventually will come back to you here are some verses to consider they're going to come up on the screen Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall the blood by his, excuse me by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image that would take care of the overpopulation in our prisons in a weekend wouldn't it There's a principle there, a principle of equal retribution. In other words, if you harm me in a certain way, I can't become angry and get approval from the judges that are at power at the time and wipe out your entire family. It has to be eye for eye. Justice has to be done with equality. But there is retribution there. Leviticus 24, 19, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Numbers 32, verse 23, but if you have sinned against the Lord, be sure that your sin will find you out. Proverbs 26, verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever gets a stone running, rolling will have it rolled back onto him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. These are a handful of verses, both from the Old and New Testaments, that I want to share with you because I want to share this principle And these verses that make the point, because we need, you and I, a reminder. We need a reminder that the decisions we make will inevitably lead to an outcome. And that outcome will be directly related to the decision. Let me say that again. You and I need a reminder that the decisions we make inevitably lead to outcomes, and those outcomes are related to the decisions. We cannot dilute the law of retribution that is plainly taught in the Bible, because there is an expectation on the part of God, who is a God who loves justice and hates injustice, that we execute things with equality and equity, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you kill a man, you forfeit your life. Now, at the height of the Enlightenment philosophy and these ideas that come along with humanitarianism, We don't do justice anymore because it's okay to kill babies, but not okay to kill murderers. Oh, I don't buy that, man. I don't buy that at all. We don't like the law of retribution because we want permission, and we give it to each other. We want permission. We do it by policy and program. We want permission to do whatever we want to do without consequence and without repercussions. But, friends, the law of retribution teaches us today that poor outcomes are directly related to poor decisions. And good outcomes are directly related to what kind of decisions? Good decisions. Of course, there are, of course, God's grace and forgiveness and provision. We're talking about general principles here. Church, the decisions that we make will have outcomes. And since that is the case, what kind of decisions do you and I want to make? Let me introduce my first point this morning. I've got a long brown hair. There, I got it. I don't know where that long brown hair could have come from. Let me introduce my first point this morning. The danger of ease, verses 1 through 7. The danger of ease. Where's my wife? No, there's somebody with the. Yeah, but she, somebody's in charge of Children's Church today. When she comes in here, let's make a scene. <sighs> Let me take the husband hat off and put the pastor hat back on. The danger of ease, verses one through seven. To begin, I want you to look at verses one through four. Just that tiny section. It begins like this. You can look at it with your eyes. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calneh and see, and from there go to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? This is a rhetorical question, obviously. Oh, you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. So to begin with, we see there in verse 1, this phrase, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. I have already explained this to you, and I'm sure because we have the most intelligent church in South Florida, that you recall the woe to those sections that we've already... Entered in a few weeks ago, chapter 5, verse 18, woe to you, chapter 6, woe to those, chapter 6, verse 4, woe to those. We're in this sort of thematic teaching right now that God is telling these people, you are cursed. If you fall under the heading of this description, woe to you. In this particular case, chapter 6, verse 1, woe to those who are at ease in Zion, Zion being another name for the city of Jerusalem. The ease is described as the verses continue. I'm just going to rattle them off. Here she comes. This is going to be so good. You don't think I should do it? Okay, all right, all right. Do you see the respect she has for me? She just gently said, I don't think it's a good idea. Thanks, Paula. That's nice. Okay. I will try. Lord God. So where was I? Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Zion being another name for the city of Jerusalem. And then he goes on. He describes this ease at the end of verse 1. He says, to whom the house of Israel comes. You recall Israel's in the north. Jerusalem's in the south. So we have this idea that there's political ease in the south because the north comes to them for assistance. You know, it's, it's nice when people come to you. That puts you at some kind of ease because you feel like you have something over them. If your attitude is not right, verse three, it says that they shrug off the potential, quote, day of the Lord happening anytime soon. In verse four, if you look at it, it says that there's laziness and opulence. In verse five, there's entertainment for entertainment's sake. He calls it idle songs. There's nothing wrong with music. Nothing wrong with singing. Nothing wrong with enjoying music. But in this particular case, he's, he's talking about idle songs, entertainment for entertainment's sake. In verse 6, he says that there's excess and drunkenness. You can look at it there in verse 6. Who drink wine out of what? Bowls. You know, when you show up one day at somebody's house and they've got a salad bowl with wine in it, you go, brother, you had a tough week. What's going on? We don't drink wine out of bowls. That's excess and that's drunkenness. Excess and drunkenness are forbidden in the Bible. And we sneak down a little farther to verse 8. You can look at it. It says that God hates, that's what the word abhor means. God hates the pride of Jacob, and he hates his strongholds. Friends, we see here through these verses the tendency of people to become, say amen if you're listening, complacent. They've established themselves as a nation with cities and infrastructure and notoriety and financial wherewithal. They've become financially stable and, what's more, affluent. All of this under God's blessing. But now, they're neglecting justice. Now, they're going through religious duties, but with faithless hearts. Now, they're looking more and more like the pagan world around them. Don't forget... Decisions lead to outcomes. Decisions lead to outcomes. In the case that we're studying here in Amos, we're definitely looking at ungodly decisions which are leading toward ungodly outcomes, which are leading toward judgment. You see the formula there. I don't want you to miss that, church. I don't want you to think that this principle only works in the negative, either. It also works in the positive. Let's not focus on the inevitable bad outcomes that result from poor decisions. Let's make good decisions and enjoy the good outcomes. Amen? Amen. Guys, I want to speak to you for a minute about this, and I want you to receive it. Let me give you a few examples. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is what God's Word says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The book of the law, that's to say the Bible, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. That means think about it constantly. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that, purpose clause, do this so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, because then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Church, let me ask you a question. What would you do this week if you knew you could not fail? What would you do this week if you knew failure was an impossibility? Well, You realize that's the promise in God's word the promise in god's word is if you walk according to his word if you meditate on his word day and night if you live your life according to his statutes and principles there is nothing that you can do that will fail because everything that you do will be according to his word you see what i mean delight yourself in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart but well, we, like we like, give me the desires of my heart. Well, I will, after you make me your delight. You see? We want God to give us the gifts, and we say, let me see what kind of giver you are, and then I will determine whether or not you are worthy of my praise. Well, that's not the way it works. God says, I'm worthy of your praise. I don't have to give you anything. The very breath in your lungs is grace, right? It's not, as Alex said, entitlement is freedom. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? How about this one? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be satisfied. How hungry are you for the righteousness of God? How hunger, How hungry are you for a righteous life? If you hunger after it, it will be granted to you because it is something that honors God. Good decision, good outcome. How about this one, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Because God gives generously without reproach and it will be given to him. In other words, if you're facing a situation in life and you don't know what to do, and you give God the glory and you ask God, "Give me wisdom here. Help me understand what decision I ought to make in this circumstance." God will speak to you by the conviction of his spirit. He may speak to you by his word. He may speak to you from another source like a Christian brother or sister who is walking with the Lord and has a healthy relationship. Do not take advice from Instagram. Do not take advice from TikTok. Do not take advice from whatever news source that you like. I don't care how left or right it is. Only take advice from spirit-baptized Christians and this word. You need people to tell you what God says. You You don't need people to tell you what you want to hear. You want wisdom? Pray, and God will give you wisdom. I've been there. I can testify to this truth. There have been seasons in my life where it has been confusion and doubt and lack of clarity, and we have prayed to God for wisdom and direction, and God grants it. God grants it. Sometimes we have a tendency to say, it's not right to put God to the test, and you're absolutely right. In Deuteronomy, it tells us, Point blank, and without equivocation, do not put the Lord your God to to the test. But in the Psalms, it says that it's okay to pray for a token of his will. You know what a token is. It's a sign. It's not wrong to say, God, this is how I feel you're leading me. Confirm it. God, if this is what you want for my life, give me peace about this decision, or make me unsettled about it. Lord, if this is what you want, order the things how they ought to be, and may they be. You see, church, the issue is this. If you want a good outcome, you've got to make good decisions. And the Word of God tells us, positively, not just negatively, that if we seek the will of the Lord, it excites the Lord toward fulfilling His will for us. He doesn't want us ignorant. He wants us wise, He doesn't want us unrighteous. He wants us to want righteousness so that he can fulfill it in our life. He doesn't want us to be unsuccessful and failures. He wants us to be successful, but according to his will. Church, here are some other examples your marriage. If you invest in it, it will be blessed. your physical and emotional well-being. If you eat well, if you exercise, if you get rest, good things will happen. If you surround yourself with people who are good for you and don't poison your heart and your brain, good things will happen for you. Friends, either way you look at it, things don't simply happen. People who make bad decisions repeatedly end up with bad outcomes. And people who make good decisions repeatedly end up with good outcomes. The people we're reading about here in Amos chapter 6, they have become complacent. They have made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and they are reaping the outcomes of these bad decisions. What matters to God doesn't matter to them. What was once important has now become unimportant. I wonder how many of us can relate to this. I wonder how many of us have neglected the reading of God's word, but can't understand why we feel dull. I wonder how many of us have neglected the fellowship of the saints but can't understand why we feel isolated. I wonder how many of us have neglected service but can't understand why we feel unfulfilled. You say, Joe, that sounds like work. Well, it is. It is. It is work. It's work that is motivated by God's grace. What are we learning here in chapter 6? That it is dangerous to live in a position of ease. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Listen, if you assess your life and it's no work, all joy. No work, no effort, all complacency. Don't worry about me. Hear the word of God. You're in danger. You're in danger if you're in ease. God's design is not the design that is being handed out to us with this, what is his name, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week. That's not biblical. Sure, we should work smartly. We should work wisely. But we've got to work. It's part of what God has made us for. He didn't say work one day and rest six God built us to work, and part of our satisfaction and fulfillment and joy as people, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, is in our work. This is why it's unhealthy to rest so much. God didn't make us to rest every second we possibly can find to rest. God made us to work. When you get older, some of you older saints can say amen to this. When you get older, you can rest. That's your season. That's your time. You earned that rest. But woe to those of us who are aiming to do no work and then rest again. We've got to invest. We've got to plant if we're going to reap a harvest of righteousness and good outcomes. Amen? Amen. There is a danger in ease. Having addressed the first part of this chapter, let's look at the final part of this chapter. This is verses 8 through 14. We talked about the danger of ease. Let's talk about the impending devastation. Read with your eyes, if you would, as I read aloud, beginning in verse 8. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring out the bones from the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there anyone still alive with you? He shall say no, and he will say, be quiet. We must not mention the day of the Lord. This is kind of a weird little passage of of text. I'm not going to preach on it, so let me just explain what he's saying. Everybody's going to hide. And if there's ten men in a house, none of those men are going to make it. And if somebody does make it, as the person going around doing the burial says, is anybody alive in the house? If somebody is hiding among the dead men, he's going to say, shh, don't tell God I'm here. Or behold, the Lord commands... And the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? No. Does one plow there with oxen? Of course not. But you have turned justice into poison. And the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, you who rejoice in low debar, who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath, that is, from the north, to the brook of Ereba, which is in the south. As we've said thus far this morning, we're talking about the law of retribution. Bad decisions, bad outcomes. Good decisions, what? good outcomes and so thus far that's what we've learned and now we have learned that if you make bad decisions you have bad outcomes and bad outcomes inevitably lead to God's judgment that's where we are here an impending devastation that's what we read in verse 8 I abhor the pride of Jacob hate his strongholds I will deliver up the city and all that is in it of course There's nothing wrong with self-confidence. Absolutely nothing. And there's nothing wrong with strongholds. Absolutely nothing. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Let me say that again. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. You see... Even the things that God intends to be blessings for us can be turned into idols and used in his stead. In other words, the things that we pray for, that we ask God for, that we say, I'm never going to be happy unless God does this for me, when he in his grace says, you know what, I'm a loving and and gracious Heavenly Father, I'm going to do this for you. And he does it, and we say, oh, thanks, God, and then we're never in church again. Women do this with kids all the time. It's a horrible thing for a woman who gets married and is waiting on the first baby. And I can't tell you how many women I know That I have laid hands on, prayed with, both physically, looking for a child, both physically and via adoption. Whether through the natural means or through adoption. Who, after they get the thing that they've been laying there on their face before the Lord for, when they get it, they go, okay, I'm not going to church anymore, I got what I needed. Kids are a good thing. Scripture says so. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Church, you need to be careful that the thing that you've been praying for that God has given to you has not become your God thing. Some of you have been praying for extra hours, more work, and you've, you, God has given it to you, but he gave it to you like a test. Some of you have been praying for health, and God gave it to you, but he gave it to you like a, like a test. I'm going to give you what you're asking for, but I'm going to see what you do with it. Strongholds can become idols of false safety. And self-confidence can mutate into pride. The only stronghold we should have is the Lord, amen? And the only pride that we should have is in the grace of God, which is granted to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amos chapter 2, verse 5, God says, I will devour the strongholds of Judah. Devour, right? He's called the Lion of Judah in the book of Amos. Devour is a play off of that. He, what do lions leave when they devour? Nothing. God says, when I come, the city will be ruined, flat. I abhor the pride, and I hate the strongholds. I will deliver up the city, God says. What happens when a nation neglects the Lord? What happens when the nation gets from the hand of God the things that its leaders and its spiritual leaders have been praying for? What happens when a humble reliance and trust in the Lord is replaced by a self-righteousness? and a pride i don't know if this is starting to sound familiar to you but it sounds eerily familiar to me beloved we must acknowledge that we all have things that are from his hand and of his grace and we jeopardizing we jeopardize excuse me losing it all In the fury of his judgment if we deny him and fall into a faith marked by complacency. When we are walking away from God, when we think our ways are better and we refuse to obey, honor, and worship him, then those things that are a blessing to us can be taken from us sometimes as a discipline, and sometimes as a judgment. Say amen if you're listening. I want you to think about this. Our plenty can lead to poverty. Think about it like this. Our comfort can lead to conflict. Think about it like this. Our affluence can lead to affliction. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, James says in James 1.17. The gifts that we have from the Lord come with the expectation of responsibility and stewardship. And we must not forget this, church. God's grace and blessing, while they can't be earned, do come with an expectation of alignment. And sometimes when we have lived so well and worshiped well and decided well that we become comfortable, we neglect the serious work Of living righteously for his glory. I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. The real turn happens in verse 6. In verse 6, when God says, You have more than you can even enjoy, (laughs) you have everything in excess but you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, Joseph being a synonym for the Hebrew people. I wonder how many of us have so much that when we see what's going on in our country, go, serves them right. I wonder how many of us go, well, at least it ain't mine. While we drink wine out of bowls. If we find ourselves falling into a point of complacency, we will know it because one of the symptoms is we'll look at the ungodly and we'll go, Serves them right. They're gonna get what's coming to them instead of God, do a work in the gospel in these people. Be glorified in that your name is, is known among the nations. God, use me to reach somebody who thinks they're defined by their sex or sexuality, by how they feel on a Monday versus a Friday. God, help me to lead people who have been educated like this toward an education that is based and founded in the Scriptures. How many of us are are leading that way? Versus how many of us are going, they're going to get what's coming to them. see, the decisions that we make have outcomes that are directly related to them. But even still, we cannot forget his part in providence. In his sovereignty, church, God blesses and curses. He heals and hinders. He raises up and he tears down, all in accordance to his wisdom and holiness. Amen? Amen? But if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we'd all be in ruin. We'd all be going to hell. This is what the gospel is about. So when we get saved, and we've been Christian 15, 20 years, let's not go to the place of pride and to the place of self-righteousness. Let's remember that if not for the grace of God, we would be lost. And when we bump into a sinner, let's remember that we're sinners too. We're just forgiven sinners in Christ. And if somebody says, man, I need some advice, let us not say, well, have you tried the 10 steps to whatever that Tony Robbins talks about in his latest Netflix whatever? Mm -hmm. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Even me, even me, brother, even me. That's what Paul said. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says that this saying is worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst. But his grace was displayed in me that my life might be an example to those who after me would believe and be saved. Did you get that? The word example is the word tupos in the Greek. It's the word we get type, right? So so you know what type is. When you're sitting at your Mac, because nobody uses PCs anymore, when you're sitting at your Mac and you press J, what comes up on the screen? A J, right? That's the type. You press the J, the J comes up. You press the Q, the Q comes up. The reason that is, is because it's a Hype, right? It's a picture of what you want, and that's what happens. And Paul says, My life is a picture. My life is an example of what God can do. Even in a sinner like me, church, is your life a picture of what God can do? I don't want to hear anything about this. I'm better than them. You're not. I'm not. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have an impending devastation, each and every one of us. And if it weren't for the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the gospel, the good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me, and the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, we'd all be lost. May we not forget that. May we not forget when we look at Amos and we go, God, that looks a lot like the United States of America. May we not go, oh, CNN, those anchors are awful. They're terrible. You know what those anchors need? Those anchors need a hefty dose of Jesus. And you flip over to Fox and you go, oh, see, this is better. I like that. It doesn't matter. They're going to hell if they don't know Jesus. Do not confuse your political affiliation for your faith. You and I have not been called by Christ to be faithful witnesses to the Constitution. We have been called to be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean those things don't matter. Of course they matter. But they come second, third, fourth, fifth, wherever. The gospel comes first. Are we surprised by this? Are we surprised by the inevitable devastation that comes after bad decisions have led to bad outcomes, have led to bad outcomes, have led to bad outcomes? I hope not. Remember what Amos chapter 3 verse 6 said. Does disaster happen to a city unless God has done it? He is sovereignly in control of all things. Don't put him to the test. But again, according to his wisdom and purpose, God doesn't do these things because he wakes up one day from a divine nap in a bad mood. If judgment is upon you, it's because you are either out of Christ or in Christ, but living like you're out of him. Say amen if you're listening. Our decisions are tied to outcomes. I don't care what kind of spin the news puts on it. If you break the law, you're gonna go to jail. If you get pulled over for driving 90 in a 70, you're 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 speeding. You're wrong. Take it to the take it take it on the chin. Be a man about it and be done. When you do wrong, you will have inevitable punishment. When you do right, God willing, you will receive blessing. Our outcomes are tied to our decisions. The Lord is executing judgment on a people who have ventured into ease and complacency to their own peril, because in that ease and complacency, they have allowed their once sharp focus on God to become dull, and disinterested. Verse 12 testifies to the fact that because they have done this in their spiritual life, it's also affected their physical life, their social life. Do horses run on rocks? No. Do oxen plow there where the rocks are? No. But you have turned justice into poison. Those things don't work. They don't fit. Friends, here's the formula. When godly people live godly lives, it helps to create a godly society which equals a blessed nation. But when godly people are living ungodly lives, even if there is social affluence and success, it will equal a nation that God cannot bless. I wonder how many of us can relate to this. I wonder how many of us can relate to the impending devastation because there's complacency in our lives. I wonder how many of us can relate to neglecting worship for more sleep, who have neglected Bible reading for more television, who have neglected prayer for more Facebook. It doesn't refresh that fast. Put the app down. It's sucking your life straight out of your eyes, man. We're all susceptible to this. I'm susceptible to this, church, because we want all the rewards without the grit and without the grind that's required. But we must realize the weight of this. God's sanctifying presence in the world and in this nation, the United States of America, is the work of the Holy Spirit through his people, the church, the faithful in Christ, God is not going to bless our nation around us. God is going to bless our nation through us. But if we're not living in accordance with his word, he's not going to go, oh, you know, you guys have had it rough. Let me do it. Let me let me do it another way. The means by which God blesses nations is his church. Not other ways. If we neglect our spiritual commitments for social complacency, we are only inviting inevitable doom because God can bless us financially and 100 other ways. But the most important blessing that God desires to bestow upon his children is the blessing of Christlikeness. likeness. That must be first.